advice, advice from someone else's dad. Hey everyone, it's Peter Yawitz and welcome to the advice from someone else's dad podcast. The most important thing, even if you don't meet that goal, is that age-old expression, shoot for the moon and if you fall, you land among the stars. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have far-reaching goals, to have ambition and energy um, in pursuing those. That was from my amazing young CEO interview with Leah cohen Showit, who was named a 30 under 30 by Forbes magazine when she was one of the principals of the fintech startup Symphony. We'll hear more of my interview with Leah in this episode. I'll also be answering your workplace questions along with my favorite HR pro co-host, Jamie Steele. Finally, I'll read one of your workplace nightmares. If you'd like to ask a question or share one of your workplace nightmares, Call us at 347-857-7294. That's 347-857-7294. You can also go to someoneelsesdad.com slash podcast and submit a question there completely anonymously. Your boss will never know. Or you can simply email us at questions at someoneelsesdad.com. And please, we'd love for you to subscribe, like, and comment, and do whatever you'd like to do to promote us, because we love you. First up, let's check in with Jamie Steele, my HR Pro co-host, to talk about some workplace issues on our mind this week. Hey, Jamie, how are you today? I'm fabulous. Oh, great. I'm glad you're not wonderful or great, but I'm glad to hear you're fabulous. Well, interesting. I was talking to someone who was looking at the table of contents of my book. He said one of the issues he deals with with a lot of young people is that people come in and they have an idea before they even start about what their career path is going to be. He said as a manager, he feels that he has to temper that a little bit because he, it's great to have your own idea of what your career path is going to be, but don't use my company as that stepping stone. So he said that he usually starts off, all right, this is what you can expect to happen with your career here. You will achieve the, the role of, let's say, assistant general manager once you have achieved this, this, and this, and this. It is not just when we feel you're right for It's important, especially with younger employees coming in, that they have an idea of where they're going, right? So positive to be able to say, here's where you can get to. However, I don't want to foster the sense of entitlement that just because they come in and they think they're working hard, that they're going to be able to move at lightning speed through the ranks. And so when I have somebody who comes in and says, you know, one day I'm going to have your spot, or one day I'm going to be the CEO of this company, great. I love big dreams, big aspirations. But I always try to say, well, here's the steps on how we get there. Uh, and if you're willing to put in the work, I'm willing to put in the work to help you to get to where you want to be. But I don't want it to be that you're coming in thinking that you're going to spend a year here and fast forward to being paid the most out of anybody in your group. And I think there's definitely a misconception as to how quickly you can ascend because you have this I, you know, I mentioned it on a different call, but this Instagram culture where everybody has these big, important jobs and it looks like they're making all this money in these luxury apartments. And so there's this perception you mean like you, out there. Like you, well, well, of, course, yeah, of course, yes, yeah. yes, of right. course. You're a well-respected HR person, but have you ever worked with another organization that maybe didn't have such milestones listed about what it takes to go to the next level? Yes. At my former employer, that was definitely the case. Uh, there wasn't a career path. And that was part of something that I tried to implement there. But when people started, it was either this is sort of where you're going to be and you're always there 
Or you'd have those people who were kind of the mavericks who came in and said, well, fine, I'll write my own rules. And then would get upset when those rules weren't things that we could actually deliver on right, because sure. there wasn't a roadmap right. in place. That's hard. I would recommend everyone have some kind of idea about what career path is. Absolutely. Jamie and I will be back a little later to answer some questions listeners have submitted. The number again is 347-857-7294. But now my interview with Leah Cohen Showit, one of Forbes magazine's 30 under 30 who helped grow the financial technology startup Symphony in only a few years. Not surprisingly, many young women are eager to ask Leah about her success and how they can replicate what she did. As you'll hear, Leah is very focused on setting goals and sticking with them. And she also believes that communication is the most important management tool, a comment which made my heart go pitter-patter. Here's our edited interview. I'm so thrilled to be here with my guest today, Leah cohen it, who was one of the instrumental architects of the success of the company Symphony. And we're going to be talking a lot, lot of things, in, including her entrepreneurial spirit and where that's leading her today. So Leah, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much, Peter. Excited to be here. Well, thank you. So for people who don't know you, they might have seen YouTube videos of you d describing the technology that you helped develop. What is it about your background that led you to this very senior person listed as a Forbes 30 under 30 at the age of what, 27 or something? 28, 28, one year older than I would have wanted. Oh, so yeah. how did you get there? Yeah, so um, as with most of life, there was certainly not an equation or recipe, but I think it was a mix of a few things. So first was a lot of hard work. Um, I think that there is a, a conception in the media where you can come in, work four hours, and then puff, things drop, and, and success is there. That's not often the case. It happens very rarely. Um, so hard work mixed with a little bit of luck, and I'll tell you about uh, that. Uh, that kind of got me to where I was at, at Symphony. Um, so just quickly, my background uh, is I started my career looking at evaluating tech trends across fintech and enterprise technology. And uh, thereafter, I had the opportunity to join Symphony, which was one of the companies my team specifically was working on building. Mm -hmm. Could you describe a little bit what Symphony was when you first learned about it? It was this idea of how important communication is across the enterprise mm -hmm. and across multiple enterprises. Right. There's a whole complex world of those firms, which are called banks, mm -hmm. and financial terms, sell side, um, which will engage in trading with uh, buy side or asset managers. Mm -hmm. And you may have heard about uh, BlackRock or Vanguard, Fidelity. These are institutions that, you know, for the benefit of their clients, will engage in daily trading with each other. And invest a lot of money to hopefully get returns for their clients. Yes, absolutely. It was almost this eureka moment of employees actually spend more than 40 or 50% of their day communicating. And that could be on chat, in email, over the phone. And you start to unpeel the onion and ask yourself, well, are the technologies they're using as efficient as they could be? And very quickly we learned that the answer was no. Um, we learned that communication was fragmented across the enterprise, it, multiple different systems in use. We learned that communication was not modernized across the enterprise. What opportunities were there for you and how did you take advantage of them? So um, I think it, it's fair to say, first and foremost, I joined an incredible um, but small team 
the management and particularly the you know early founders of Perzo, which would become Symphony, yes. um, you know, were, were very inspiring and we all had this collective vision of what it could be. So from there, it was two years of digging in, getting your hands dirty and doing anything and everything that um, a startup needed to grow. Mm -hmm. Look, I think the most important thing about management definitely is communication. You spend a lot of time doing that. But what's most important about that communication is transparency. Mm -hmm. And transparency in terms of what are your expectations for the project ahead? What are your expectations for you know, working in collaborative style? Um, what is your vision for longer term so that other people can see exactly what you're thinking and try to emulate that vision with you on the same team as you? And I think it, you know, in terms of realizing when that was uh, the most important trait of communication is looking across peers and, and hearing those peers say, I wish I knew more about this, or it wasn't clear to me when they said X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to hear that feedback, you start to think, well, how can I improve my own right. management style? Sure. You know, are these the types of things that people wish I did better? Mm -hmm. um, so just keeping your ears open to, to feedback, even if it's not directly relevant to your team, but uh, making sure that you, you provide your team with, with those kinds of things that make it, may satisfy whatever feedback that they have. You know, a lot of people from my generation look at people at your generation and they say, well, they, they want to work this way. Right, and for someone who came, you know, you are like a right, like bellwether person, right in the center of the, of this generation. Do you think it's an unfair view that all you want is just to be rewarded all the time and yeah. have your Instagram account be at the top of the heap? Uh, our brains are wired to be rewarded mm -hmm. all the time, whether we're millennials or not. Um, you could say they're the ones that just recognize that, and uh, you know, they're they're a little bit quicker to get those things. Mm -hmm. Right, millennials are also motivated much more by purpose and impact than other generations. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that beyond comp and perks and free food and massages, mm -hmm. they desire. What kind of questions do young people, like right out of college or business school, what do they ask you? They, especially women probably look up to you and say, wow, look what you've done. What do they ask you? What do they want? Do they, th do they, th do they think it's a secret easy sauce? I've definitely been asked before, what's the secret? And I, I wish there was. Mm -hmm. um, I'd probably package up and sell it. Life yeah. doesn't have a secret. Right. But I think a lot of them are curious about what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about when you join the workforce is you no longer have a benchmark. You have to rely on your peers and around you, your managers and so on, to create that benchmark. So for example, when you were in college, you had a benchmark about even grading, mm -hmm. how you were doing, right? Timelines, um, when this problem set was due, when you had your midterms and your finals coming up. And so they could constantly track their progress against these milestones and benchmark themselves. I think there's a lot of questions around what should I be doing? Am I doing this the right way? What are some of the, the gotchas? Or if I'm here and I need to be in, in this position in a year or two years, how do I get myself there? Mm -hmm. Because it's very easy to see that path when you're in college. 
So that's interesting when you talk about intermediate goals, and certainly in college you have a goal to get the term paper done, et cetera, et cetera. So now you're a manager, and I'm sure people come to you and they, I'm not in a two-year analyst program when I work for you. Yeah. What are my goals? How do I define that? Is there a lockstep career path that you've set for me when I've worked directly for you at Symphony? Mm -hmm. So um, that is a conversation I like to have with all of my team members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is an incredibly motivating conversation um, where you get really someone to think critically about why are they here now? Why are they going to be here tomorrow? the day after tomorrow, as well as where are they going to be in two, three, four years from now. Um, that conversation, though, doesn't start with today and tomorrow. It actually starts with 10 or 15 years out. Even if they don't know exactly what they want to be doing, there's some questions that, that would put them in a sphere that's close to what they want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And those questions could range something like, um, what industries? Do you want to work with big, heavy businesses? Do you want to work with consumers? Um, are you interested in doing something that's very creative or a little more analytical? And if that sounds exciting to you, then you start to put yourself on a trajectory which is going to get you at least into that sphere in 10 or 15 years. Mm -hmm. Did you specifically set goals for yourself? Yes. Very ambitious ones, okay. which I still track back to. I've made it a point to really do whatever I can in the weeks, months, years leading up to that goal to get there. The most important thing, even if you don't meet that goal, is that age-old expression, shoot for the moon, and if you fall, you land among the stars. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to have far-reaching goals, to have ambition and energy um, in pursuing them. Um, but obviously, if you don't meet them for whatever reason, there's always tomorrow, and it's a new day, and there's, there's, you know, they're still within reach That's great. after that. That's great. Yeah. You recently left Symphony to pursue some entrepreneurial ventures. Can you talk a little bit about those? The time was, was right for me to pursue a couple different um, areas I've been thinking a lot about. In terms of what I'm doing now, I'm spending a lot of time diligencing mm -hmm. those ideas, mm -hmm. clarifying, validating that people would pay for the solution mm -hmm. in the areas of uh, fintech and health tech. Diligencing, is that in the dictionary now? It should be. It should be, people use it all the time, yeah. I guess. So uh, I'll diligence you one more thing. Did you ever listen to the advice your parents gave you? My dad would always say, do something for yourself. Mm -hmm. And he, he meant it not at all of doing something that's selfish, but really doing something that motivates and inspires mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. I, I also think, uh, you know, my parents made sure every day we were learning something. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's so critical starting out in a career is making sure every single day you are learning something about why things work, how things work, um, what to do, product, marketing, sales, anything, um, but just make sure to keep it. Leah, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. I certainly learned a lot, and I think our listeners will take a lot of this advice and hopefully use it to improve their careers. And I wish you the best of luck in your new endeavors. I want to follow you and find out what that's going to be. Thank you, Peter. That was for my interview with Leah Cohen. Show it. Up next, Jamie and I answer your workplace questions. Our number is 347-857-7294. This is Advice from Someone Else's Dad. I'm Peter Yawitz with Jamie Steele. Here's our first call. 
Hi, my name is Patricia. I have the ability to work from home. Yesterday, I advised my boss I was working from home because I wasn't feeling well. Side note, I rarely do this. I work from home on weekends for overtime, but barely ever call out, and I have paid time off. He assumed I wasn't coming in because of the weather. I log on and start to read my emails. He sent an email to one of our reps about me being out, and I'm so upset about it. Am I overreacting? How do I approach this when I go in today? Would you say something to him? I can understand why you're upset. That's that's just not fair of the boss to talk about anything personal, whether you're home for personal reasons or working from home. I don't think that's right. Uh, how do you deal with situations like that? And I, I'll give you some advice about what I do, but I'd like to hear your opinion first. Yeah, you know, I am always a proponent of being uh, what I term as open and honest. Mm -hmm. And especially if this is somebody that you work for, it's your boss, you have to have that type of relationship. Of course, I would take maybe a five-second pause, collect your emotions so that it doesn't come out uh, sideways or in a way that you wouldn't want to convey that you're really upset about it. However, um, I wouldn't also then try to damper the fact that you are upset. So it's kind of that fine balance and just saying, you know what, I didn't appreciate that that happened in the future if I'm out and you want to message somebody who's under my territory, one of these reps that I work with, would you check in with me first mm -hmm. and we can figure out what the messaging should yeah. be? I, I want to add to that, that that should be a one-on-one -on -one conversation, a face-to-face -face conversation, not on an email. Uh, Definitely. Because sometimes you're so upset and the easiest way to communicate is by email. And I agree that you want to sit on it for a day just to... You're, this person is clearly upset. Okay, so I said upset. five seconds. You yeah. said oh, a day. Okay, five seconds. Five <laughs> seconds is not enough time for me. Okay, all I right. I need to calm down a little bit more than five seconds. I'm amazed that you can calm down in five seconds. One, two, three, four. <laughs> I'm fine now. Yes. Yeah, amazing. I'm not like that at all. Uh, I would wait, maybe not the day. If it's fresh in your mind and you can have a conversation with your boss, sure, go for it. I remind people that stick to the facts. Because if you just talk about something, what you did really pissed me off. Someone's going to get defensive. So I would talk specifically, and you mentioned when you talked to the rep and said this, which was legitimate. The person actually did that, and then say how your emotions were. I felt upset. Yes. So it was a direct relationship between what you did and how I felt. And no one can deny how you felt about anything. Right. And say why? Because I felt you were, you undermined me a little bit because I wasn't in the office. And then talk. The third part is to say what you should do in the future. As you mentioned, in the future, let's let's have a plan in case this happens again. Right. Uh, so I know you feel very upset about it, but I think you should approach your boss sooner the better. I don't know when you left this voicemail for us, but I think the sooner you do it, the better. But be very specific about what your boss did and how that made you feel, and make sure we don't do it again. Uh, hi, my name is Michael. I am a lab manager in a research hospital. Uh, we're currently undergoing a total remodel of our vivarium. Uh, it'll be a state-of-the-art facility when it reopens, and we are trying to attract new animal technicians to the job to keep it state-of-the-art. Uh, my question is, how do you motivate current workers and attract new quality workers to a job that is actually kind of mundane? The position is union, middle-of-the-road pay, pay grade, uh, I think it starts at around 15. Uh, great health benefits. Should I get them involved in the research a bit so that they know how valuable and precious our mice are to research? I'd appreciate any idea. Uh, thanks. 
Wow. When I listen to this about this job, you're not making it sound too exciting either. I mean, you're saying it only pays $15 an hour and it's not a very good job. Boy, I'd hate for you to promote your business or promote the job to anybody because it really doesn't sound like a lot of fun. People can find a better job, a better part-time job, driving for Uber, different type of service, um, or even doing other kind of tech tasks that many people have as just basic skills these days. Mm -hmm. So I understand it's hard to fill a, a a position where it only pays $15 an hour. All right, so how do you make something like that exciting? That is a really great question. So, you know, where I work, we're actually recruiting for a position that's not very fun either. It has a lot of maintenance work, uh, custodial work, things like that, mowing the lawn. Uh, And so... You know, we're kind of being a little kitschy with it. Like, you can listen to your headphones, use, listen to music, play your iPod, watch a movie. I mean, whatever it is in between. You could count mouse shits. I mean, what else can you do in this? It might be exciting. Maybe have a contest. Right. How many did you get today? So, you know, as we were discussing this, I said, you know, there should just be like an Instagram account for you, right? Right. Where you're just saying, today, there were two, I don't know, mouse turds. I know. And just make it fun. Because what else can you really well, do? Well, I mean, let's let's be honest about this. That job does not sound exciting, but maybe you could add some other menial tasks to it that sound a little bit more exciting or en- enhance the perks. Yes, you know, definitely. free lunch or free transportation, or even if it's if it's a union job, maybe there are decent benefits that go with it right. that could be appealing to someone who doesn't have benefits. But man, I know it's a hard job market out there today when you don't, you can't offer something that's great. That's really tough. Mm-hmm. Coming up next, I read this week's Workplace Nightmares. Here's another one of our Workplace Nightmares. I was a regional manager for a major electrical manufacturer. We attended a sales meeting in Arizona. There were about 300 salespeople. The senior VP of one of the product divisions was disappointed when the hotel would not supply more firewood for the fire pit in the courtyard. He dragged wooden lawn furniture into the fire pit and burned the hotel furniture. The company didn't fire him. Well, maybe the insurance company paid? I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> bad behavior. That is just bad behavior to do at a hotel. It is. And you set something on fire, you get fired. Hey, thanks for joining us for this episode of Advice from Someone Else's Dad. Many thanks to Leah cohen it, and, of course, to my co-host, Jamie Steele. Next time, there will be more answers to your questions and more workplace nightmares. Remember, you can call us at 347-857-7294, or you can go to someoneelsesdad.com slash podcast and submit a completely anonymous question there, or you can just email us at questions at someoneelsesdad.com. We appreciate your comments. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on any other platform you use. And we'd love for you to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And the handle is at someone else's dad. You can also learn more about my book, Flip Flops and Microwave Fish, Navigating the Do's and Don'ts of Workplace Culture, which you can pre-order on Amazon before the January 14th launch date. I'm Peter Yawitz. See you next time at Advice from Someone Else's Dad. Advice from someone else's dad.